Okay, namaste. And welcome to the Inner Transformations Podcast. It's been a while, I know, uh, if, you're, if you've been paying attention. I, I was thinking it was two or three weeks. I checked and my last uh, podcast was in January. So um, um, I'm here to catch up a little bit. Uh, and uh, I, um, well, I had one person uh, contact me and say, you need to do a new podcast. Uh, so there hasn't been a real clamor <laughs> for, for this, but uh, it's something that, uh, that I enjoy. And uh, I put out there for your enjoyment as well. So uh, today I'm going to kind of focus on this question uh, from different angles. Uh, what is the meaning of life? And, uh, you know, this isn't Monty Python, so uh, it's not going to be uh, totally ridiculous. At the same time, uh, I'm certainly not uh, the guru who can uh, present you with the meaning of life. In fact, we'll, uh, I will story about that as we go along. But let's, uh, let's start here. Perhaps you've seen a picture of the Milky Way, spiral galaxy spread out in space. And on this picture, there's a little uh, message. It says, you are here. And it points to a, you know, a speck of light on the, the outer spiral arm of the Milky Way galaxy, which is uh, our, our sun, probably. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it highlights just how insignificant we seem in the face of the, the enormity of the universe. After all, our galaxy is somewhere between 100,000 to 200,000 light years across. And uh, it's only one of billions of galaxies in the universe. Wow. Astrophysicists now believe that our universe may be a part of a larger multiverse containing uh, numer numerous alternate universes. So uh, it's kind of mind-blowing. Uh, and it... it it, uh, you know, it, in the immensity of that vast space-time uh, expanse, our problems, our achievements, our attachments, and our ego pride uh, seems pretty trivial, seems uh, meaningless, in fact. And yet here we are, as these uh, uh, conscious thinking beings. And if we look at uh, time, uh, vast spaces of time that we exist in as well. Our universe is estimated to be about 13.8 billion years old. And our galaxy, uh, 13.51 years old. And the Earth itself uh, is a paltry 4.5, 4, 3 billion years old. So, uh, you know, uh, we're kind of planetary newcomers. And then uh, Homo sapiens uh, have been around for about 200,000 years, as far as we can tell. And uh, 
So, you know, we haven't been around that long in the face of eternity. And, uh, you know, we started looking at civilization. Uh, you know, the earliest civilizations go back uh, maybe 5,000 years, according to, uh, uh, you know, the traditional thought. Uh, there's been new discoveries like Gobeki, Gobekli Tepe in, uh, in Turkey that uh, uh, maybe 10,000 years back. Uh, so, um, so mo and then modern civilization itself has only been around for a few centuries. You know, the, the, uh, the kind of civilization that we are, have grown accustomed to these days. So it's good to keep things in perspective as we try to consider this idea of the, the meaning of life, uh, if there is such a thing. And uh, there's different ways we can view this. I want to go into uh, some, some different perspectives. But uh, to begin with, life itself doesn't have an inherent meaning. You know, it's not, uh, it's not hidden somewhere over here or over there. You know, I'm, I'm not going to... Um, I'm not going to discover the inherent meaning of life. We are beings that create meaning. Um, we create the narratives that provide us with a sense of meaning, a sense of perspective. A human being, uh, as human beings, we're both gifted and cursed with, uh, with consciousness, with self-awareness, language, and a need to, to make sense of things. And, of course, uh, that means actually symbolizing things. Uh, language is a, a symbolic method. Um, as a, insignificant as we are in the vast scope of space-time, we might better understand ourselves as beings who have evolved as the universe's way of making meaning of itself, understanding itself. That's a thought, huh? Uh, we're conscious beings. Consciousness is something precious and mysterious. It is the essence of who we are. And at the same time, uh, we don't know what it is or who we truly are. Is it, uh, as materialistic science says, an emergent uh, epiphenomenon? Or, uh, again, Another scientific perspective, is it an unrecognized attribute of our universe of space-time and matter? We might uh, think of space-time consciousness as the basis of our reality. You know, one philosophical question to experiment with is, is there a reality with no one to experience it? You know, uh, it's a hard question. It's a question we can't answer because there may be, but we have no clue <laughs> what it might be. Uh, in 1971, uh, the astronaut Edgar Mitchell had a mystical experience on, his, on a moon mission. In his words, I realized that the story of ourselves, as told by science, our cosmology, our religion, was incomplete and likely flawed. I recognized that the Newtonian idea of separate, independent, discrete things in the universe wasn't a fully accurate description. What was needed was a new story, 
of who we are and what we are capable of becoming. So, um, so Mitchell uh, researched literature related to uh, mystical experiences after he returned from his, his moon mission. And in the, uh, in the yogic literature, he, he found the description of uh, Savikalpa Samadhi. And uh, he thought that that described his experience pretty well. You know, he might have uh, also uh, turned to uh, uh, Maurice Bucky, a 19th century uh, psychiatrist who experienced cosmic consciousness, wrote a book about it, you know. Um, and in fact, uh, mystics throughout the ages have reported and attempted to describe experiences of unitive consciousness. And of course, they're not easy to describe. Salvikapa Samadhi, uh, in, excuse me, we'll back up here. In Savikalpa Samadhi, the individual ego dissolves, and one experiences uh, a cosmic oneness. So, uh, in the uh, in the uh, Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, uh, different aspects of samadhi are described. There are different stages, but there's two main categories, and one is uh, Savikalpa. And the other is uh, nirvikalpa samadhi. And uh, what uh, what Mitchell uh, recognized in his experience, savikalpa samadhi uh, is a state of expanded awareness in which one experiences the unity of everything, the interconnected unity of the entire universe, and at the same time is aware of the different forms in the universe. Uh, Nirvikalpa Samadhi uh, is a uh, is the, ex- the yogic experience of um, of ego ego uh, dissolution, as well. Uh, but uh, there is an experience of formlessness. There is no name or form. There's just absolute, pure oneness of being. Um, so, uh, in the, uh, in the yoga tradition, if you, uh, study it and, uh, uh, you know, the, the, these stages of samadhi come about through, uh, intense meditative concentration. And for many practitioners, it takes, it takes decades, perhaps lifetimes, to, to actually achieve these states of oneness. Um, of course, back then, they didn't have access to moon landings. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and they didn't have access to some other, uh, what we're going to talk about as well. Um, so, at the same time as Mitchell's experience, going to the moon and having this mystical experience, you know, there were many people uh, back here on planet Earth that were experimenting with LSD. And LSD, or lysergic acid diethylamide, uh, is a powerful psychedelic chemical that was discovered um, by Albert Hoffman in 1938. But it, uh, it became popular in the 1960s. 
The Beatles took it and revolution, revolutionized pop music with their uh, Sgt. Pepper's album. Um, and uh, at the same time, Harvard psychologists Timothy Leary and uh, Richard Alpert experimented with LSD. Uh, they did a, a number of experiments, uh, very interesting uh, results and, and information from those, uh, but uh, Harvard eventually expelled both of them um, from, you know, from, from the, the institution. And, uh, you know, that was the, that was the 1960s. And so, uh, and so in the late 60s, early 70s, our society and culture were influenced by, uh, by these mystical ideas and the psychedelic drugs and Eastern philosophy became more, more uh, well-known and popular. Uh, that's when uh, yoga first uh, really started to catch on in this country. Um, so uh, it opened up some doors and really made people in that, in that time question, what is the meaning of life? You know, what is, what's it all about? Our, uh, our old cultural expect, explanations, as Mitchell said, uh, you know, they stopped, they didn't make sense anymore. Our religious traditions, educational system, and the uh, scientific materialist, uh, materialist paradigm uh, didn't really have anything to offer, to account for these expanded states of consciousness. And so, uh, uh, you know, things, things progressed uh, in a new way, that consciousness progressed in a new way uh, for us as, as human beings in, in, these, uh, in this modern world. So um, I experimented with LSD uh, numerous times, actually. I, I didn't keep a trip log. I don't remember how many times exactly, but, but quite a few times. Uh, in the 60s and 70s. Um, but I'll tell you about the first time. First time I dropped acid was at 17. I was in high school still, and I had a group of friends. We were all interested in, uh, in this drug. And uh, uh, I volunteered to be the first one that took it so that they could uh, uh, monitor me and see how I dealt with it. Before, before they gave it a try. So I was, I was the guinea pig of our group, and I didn't mind at all. I, I really was intrigued by what I had uh, heard and read about, um, you know, about the LSD experience. Um, I didn't have uh, a grand mystical experience. Um, uh, you know, it did open up uh, certain things within me. Uh, there's a lingering sense that I have both through my through that you know LSD and then also through through my uh, spiritual practice over the years, there's a there's a lingering inner sense of a uh, a higher intelligence in the background of my awareness, and uh, I want to know more about that as I go along, but uh, you know I might I, I would I might refer to that as my soul or my my higher self, uh, my guardian angel. I don't know, um, but there, there, it, there was a certain awareness there. But my experience was both uh, uh, transcendent in a way, and and utterly terrifying. My uh, fragile teenage uh, ego self uh, was fragmented, was fractured, and that's what LSD does. And uh, 
you know, at one, at, in one sense, I could see beyond uh, the false conditioning that uh, I had grown up in or was living in my life. Uh, but uh, uh, I kind of felt like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche back in the, the day who said, you know, if you stare into the abyss long enough, uh, the abyss long enough, uh, you'll find it staring back at you. And <laughs> maybe uh, that kind of describes that, uh, the, the, the core of that experience. Fortunately, I had friends to look after me. And, uh, you know, that's a good, uh, if you're going to experiment with these substances, LSD, psilocybin, uh, ayahuasca, anything, so it's probably not, it's probably best not to do it by yourself, at least the first uh, few times, you know, have some friends around to look after you, because uh, I got a little bit crazy, I, there was, uh, I started throwing darts around, and fortunately, uh, uh, my friend Steve was wearing a cast, which, uh, from a, uh, a, a, an earlier uh, bicycle accident that he was in, and so the dart uh, that might have gone into his arm stuck in his cast. Uh, anyway, I, you know, I was, I, it's a little chaotic. And uh, uh, another friend, Rob, put on some uh, a record to try and help uh, calm and soothe me and see if I could really get into the music. It was uh, it was Bob Dylan, and uh, I'm a huge Dylan fan uh, to this day. But uh, I just found it really grating at the time. It just didn't work for me. So um, there was something else going on inside me which I could never not define. And uh, it's you know it's one of those things. Maybe uh, maybe some of you can recognize. It was just uh, an impulse for something that I didn't know what it was. Uh, almost a, an urgent impulse. Um, <clears throat> but fortunately, my friends looked after me. Um, later on, I went home to my uh, the apartment we lived in with my and my uh, my dad and my stepmother, and uh, you know I, they they didn't notice uh, apparently that uh, my my normally uh, light blue eyes were were totally black because my pupils were <laughs> totally enlarged. Uh, didn't come up though, uh, maybe because I wore glasses in those days, and you know they. It, they, uh, they, they didn't notice anyway. And so uh, I, I sat with them for a while to watch TV, and, and we sat in silence, you know, after a few hellos. And, uh, you know, it was a good thing we didn't talk much because I was, uh, I was watching uh, cartoon dinosaurs crawl out of the, the TV screen. <laughs> so uh, I, I, don't recommend, I don't recommend LSD as a... Uh, as a, as a primary approach to spiritual go, growth, I, I you know it, I, I think in the right settings, you know if you're if you're it, it can be it can be helpful, uh, but it's also pretty chaotic. Uh, it really just opens up the doors to your unconscious mind, and uh, who knows what who may who and what may step out. So uh, you know be careful with these with these substances. Um, but going back to the, the, the pursuit of meaning, um, you know, I, I think that as psychological beings, we are, um, we, we need meaning as almost as much as we need food on a physical level. Meaning is how we, 
uh, you know, meaning is, is important to our, our, our sense of self. And so we begin early on uh, in children, uh, pre-linguistically as children, you know, trying to understand our, uh, our environment. And of course, language comes along as a, as a tool for, for helping to do that. Um, but as, uh, as children uh, up to the age five, seven, something like that, you know, our, our, our brains are such that we just absorb uh, information and meaning, and um, good, good or bad. So we can develop a, a sense of, a really dismal sense of meaning in life, so a destructive sense of meaning in life, or we can develop a, a, a positive uh, one. And, and it, you know, it makes a big difference in the way that children grow up and, and become uh, successful or unsuccessful in life. Whatever, whatever success means, right? But um, uh, once we develop speech, uh, we begin assigning linguistic meaning. To, uh, to every experience. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a way of encoding and symbolizing the meaning of things. And we get really caught up in that, you know, that, you know, if uh, the meaning of life, uh, you know, what was it uh, Douglas Adams said, you know, what's the meaning of life turned out to be 42, 43, I forget, you know, it was a number. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, which, it, again, you know, uh, uh, the meaning of life is is more than more than we can uh, encode in symbols. And in fact, it, it it's not going to be encoded in symbols at all. It is uh, it's more immediate, and uh, and uh, in the, that part of the, our minds that is is silent and and, and aware and uh, highly intelligent at the same time. So with the, uh, the creation of language, uh, thought, word, and meaning uh, become completely entangled in our minds. Um, and then once we reach adulthood, you know, we, we kind of live in an abstract world. Um, we, as the um, linguist uh, Korzybski said, we live in, in a map, uh, not the territory. And or, uh, or as Alan Watts put it, uh, we eat the menu. Right, so we're not present in our experience. We're we're lost in our minds, and that's not where we're going to find meaning, love, self-actualization, or transcendence. Uh, we're just going to be stuck in the the endless loops of our of our thought processes. So when Edgar Mitchell uh, saw our planet from the moon, planet Earth. It, it opened up a, a, a whole new mental perspective for him, a, a new state of consciousness. And uh, similarly, when uh, back here on Earth, uh, you know, we saw the published pictures of our planet from space, this beautiful uh, blue-green planet, you know, a it's, a, it's not floating in space, it's, it's, rot it's uh, part of a whole... Uh, interconnected uh, spiral dance of, of space, uh, but there it is, and it opened up a, a, a new way. I think for for the whole the whole of the uh, the whole of our species, the whole of humanity, it uh, it opened up a sense of our oneness on this planet. Um, unfortunately, that hasn't uh, really kicked in and set in fully, uh, but. Uh, 
you look at the uh, picture of the planet Earth, there certainly are no um, uh, lines between countries and ethnicities and, and all of that stuff. It's, it's one planet, one Earth, and we are together here, right? So uh, switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about, uh, I'm still talking about the evolution of consciousness here and the evolution of meaning that, that goes with that. Uh, so as, as consciousness evolves, as thinking evolves, uh, our sense of the meaning of life uh, evolves as well. And, uh, you know, I got in trouble back in the, uh, you know, back, back when. And now, and now I'm not in trouble because I don't care what people think. But a lot of people, if I would uh, ask some question like that, what's the meaning of life, or talk about consciousness, or any of these things, you know, a lot of people would just look askance at me. Um, in fact, my own, uh, my ex-wife, you know, would kind of roll her eyes and uh, uh, she'd make little muttered little comments about how immature I was, you know, to be kind of interested in these things. It didn't take over my life. I had a career as a psychologist and whatnot. Uh, anyway, uh, the, meaning, the meaning of life uh, is something that grows and evolves within us. And I think really to end, and I'm, I'm being a little uh, inflated here in terms of my ego maybe, I, I don't mean to be, but I think that uh, the, the idea of, of questioning the meaning of life, questioning things in general, uh, questioning, you know, go deep questioning, who am I? Why am I here? Why, you know, uh, is, uh, is um, that, that's a, uh, that's certainly a, uh, represents a growth or a stage of growth in your in your consciousness, and so if you're thinking about those things, stick with it. Keep asking those questions. Keep questioning, and uh, uh, as soon as you find an answer, uh, keep looking for the next one. <laughs> That's right. Um, so back in the the early 20th century, there was this guy, uh, Swiss guy, uh, Jean Gebser, and. Uh, he, he, he was, uh, he was a, a student of art, uh, and, and uh, he developed this theory of the evolution of consciousness through various stages uh, as, as art has changed and evolved over time. And so he came up with uh, uh, five stages. He was a friend of, uh, he was actually a friend of um, Pablo Picasso, but he, he, rec he, rep he recognized possibly you know, what, uh, five stages of consciousness evolving uh, over the ages. And the first is uh, he called archaic. And the archaic stage of consciousness is kind of hard to describe. Uh, it, it goes way back. You know, we've talked about human species uh, being around for about 200,000 years. It kind of goes back to the start of that. There's the archaic. The next one he called the magical. The, the, the consciousness that tried to interact with the the, uh, the universe you know, on a magical basis. The third stage is called mythical, um, and then uh, the fourth stage, which is you know um, more recent on the scene, of course, is the rational stage. And uh, what Gebser saw at that time, uh, partly in the partly in the, uh, the the work of Pablo Picasso, his friend. Uh, was the emergence of a, of a new stage of consciousness. 
and we can he called that the uh, a perspectival stage or the integral stage and I like integral better it's a little, a little easier to say <laughs> but uh, um, this is a stage of consciousness that is very newly emerging you know uh, and uh, and certainly most people that you and I meet talk to and encounter are not functioning uh, in the, that structure of consciousness at all so uh, in fact in fact many people are still uh, you know no I don't think anybody's around walking around at the arch archaic stage of consciousness unless maybe you go in deep into the uh, the rainforests of um, you know South America um, and those indigenous cultures and uh, to say that they're they're functioning at the archaic structure of consciousness is not to uh, uh, disparage them in any way or to um, you know that's a that that is somewhere that uh, um, uh, we, we need to recover uh, you know a, a, a symbiotic uh, relationship with planet earth uh, something we've lost along the way but to go on further and and of course these this evolution of consciousness uh, is kind of like a flowering of consciousness we can't uh, we can't really go back to the, the archaic stage um, just now. Um, so uh, it goes back to prehistoric ages. The, the archaic stage, the human psyche was, was undifferentiated. And so here's a, a brief uh, quote from, uh, from Gebser himself from, from the book, uh, the, the, the Ever-Present Origin. And Gebser wrote uh, about the archaic stage of consciousness. He said, conscious is neither knowledge nor conscience, but must be understood for the time being as in the broadest sense as wakeful presence. So uh, I don't know what you get out of that sentence, but there's an undifferentiated consciousness. And it's uh, uh, it might be akin to what... Uh, uh, you know, the Tibetan Buddhists refer to as, as Rigpa or, or naked awareness. Um, it's, it's just pure presence. And it's at, the, uh, it's at the basis of who we are, actually. The structure of consciousness, uh, just because we've evolved beyond it, doesn't mean it went away. And it is the, it is the core of who we are. And uh, we'll, we'll get back to that as we go along, but... Um, Let's, but let's look at the next stage of consciousness called the magical, the magical structure of consciousness. Um, and it, uh, it, it emerged uh, out of that archaic unity. And it is uh, marginally dif differentiated. But uh, with the magic structure of consciousness, you know, it's, it's, it's akin to what children go through in their, in their development, magical thinking. Uh, it's, it's very... Uh, it's very egocentric, in the sense that my, uh, you know, my inner thoughts and feelings determine the the structure of, of reality. So, um, you know, we can see. Uh, we can we can all uh, recognize magical thinking. And, you know, uh, I, I wish I wish it worked sometimes. Uh, as a therapist, sometimes I, I would joke with my my. Colleagues and we'd say, you know, I wish, I wish I had that magic wand. 
and I could just uh, tap my clients and relieve them of their their suffering. And of course, we didn't have that. <laughs> and uh, that, but that's magical thinking. Um, so uh, uh, to to uh, uh, beyond that, we we move into uh, this other uh, this other dimension, this other structure, which is called the uh, the mythical structure of consciousness. And uh, you know the mythical st structure of consciousness again is embedded in the archaic and the the, the magical thinking, but it's uh, it becomes more um, codified, you know. Uh, 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 and art at this time, you know, it takes the form of um, iconography, uh, you know, things like that. The, the art uh, is, uh, is, uh, symbolizes this idea of a, of a coherent uh, cultural structure of, of consciousness to where, you know, this was the age of, of uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, the great religions, the great, the great mythical uh, structures of, 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 of antiquity, you know, the Greek and the, the Roman uh, uh, mythologies, the, uh, the Indian mythologies. Uh, Indian mythology is, is interestingly still very much alive. And, uh, uh, um, and, then, uh, and then also, uh, as much as we, some people don't like to admit it or think about it, uh, religion is, is based in mythology. Our, our traditional uh, Christian religion in the West, uh, Judaism in uh, the Middle East, uh, uh, all, all of those, the, those religions are based in a, uh, a, a primary mythology. And uh, we don't like to think about that. In fact, the, uh, you know, the Joseph Campbell uh, remarked one time, he said, he said, mythology is other people's religions, right? So we can, we can say, oh yeah, those people believe in myths. What we believe is, well, what, actuality? Okay, well, <laughs> I, I'm not going to go into that too much here, but uh, yeah, if you, uh, I have a friend, actually, he's a, he, um, he's, a, he's a spiritual teacher. And he gives talks mostly related to, uh, you know, uh, what's called new thought. Uh, but uh, uh, he, he told a story one time about... Uh, uh, a couple guys that came over to his house, uh, you know, handing him re religious pamphlets. You can determine which religion it was, um, and uh, they wanted to uh, to talk with him. And he said, uh, he said, before I speak with you, you know, before I get into a discussion with you, uh, just tell me, do you, do you literally believe that there was a, a snake that somehow had legs, walked around the garden, and spoke to people? And uh, of course, they you know they 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 did. <laughs> they said, yeah, 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 that's in the Bible. And he told them, you know, I, I I'm not going to waste my time talking with you. And he's somebody who's studied the Bible extensively, but uh, a very different perspective on it. Uh, so realizing that um, realizing that uh, our where our, our culture is based in mythology um, is important. Um, and uh, so, uh, um, you know, we can look at different, uh, different mytho mythological uh, themes that, that stick with us still in our current age. You know, one, one is the, the myth of the fall. It's a huge one in the Bible. 
and you find it uh, echoed in, in different cultures. The idea that, and this may actually be a myth describing, uh, you know, these shifts in consciousness where we fall away from that uh, inner state of, of unity and oneness and, uh, you know, enter into this life of struggle and suffering and individuality. You know, it's, uh, so, you know, uh, the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis is a, a well-known example. The Garden of Eden represents that uh, state prior, that prior state of unity with nature. And, uh, you know, due to tasting the, the fruit from the tree of, of good and evil, right, duality, uh, Adam and Eve are, are cast out into this, uh, this world of separation and hardship. And so uh, the mythical consciousness is based in stories and symbols as a means of making sense of life. Life is painful and difficult because our ancient forebears uh, sinned. Or, uh, you know, Prometheus stole fire from the gods and brought it to earth. Uh, Narcissus uh, gazed upon his reflection and fell in love. You know, it's a... Uh, a myth that describes the development of the ego, right? Uh, an ancient flood destroyed most of the world because of mankind's evil ways. Um, you know, and, that, and that's, uh, mythology is so deep, uh, you know, so it, there's a history, there is history there described, uh, you know, but certainly without exact times and dates, um, there, there are themes and patterns that uh, underlie uh, our world and our consciousness, um, very much so even in this, this modern age. Um, you know, Edith Hamilton uh, was one of the, the original uh, writers in English about the, the Greek myths, and uh, she described uh, themes like heroism, generosity, faith, love, fate, uh, narcissism, sacrifice, uh, you know, all of these themes that were, uh, that are part of us, part of who we are as, as, as people, uh, you know, back, back in, back in ancient times. So, um, uh, it's important, you know, it's important stuff. I think mythology is important to study and, and understand and learn because it's, it's part of who we are. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, in modern times, uh, you know, more modern times, uh, we've developed the, the rational structure of consciousness. And, um, you know, it's, it, this, this view is, is cool and analytical. It questions prior assumptions, assumed authority, arbitrary concepts, all of which were, you know, part of the mythological structure of consciousness. It, it, uh, it doubts imagination, emotion, even uh, even cultural conditioning. You know, it, it uh, it's it's very reflective in that sense. Uh, Gebser observed the emergence of the rational structure with the advent of perspective in Renaissance art. You know, and we can find it much earlier than that. Uh, you know, it's it, the rational structure. All of these structures are, have been present all along to some degree, but in our modern age, the rational uh, structure has taken precedence. And it takes us out of the, uh, 
the two-dimensional world to the mythological structure? Perspective, right? It emphasizes the unique viewpoint of the, the individual ego. You know, each of us has our own perspective. Uh, crazy, huh? It's a really important understanding. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you know, with, with this, this structure of consciousness, everyone's perspective is guided by math, science, and, uh, and you know, ultimately material realism. You know, with the, with the modern age, uh, you know, religion has been really pushed to the, to the side. For, and maybe for good or, or worse, I don't know. So, um, you know, uh, ancient myths, religion, etc., are relegated to a, a, a file, really, uh, called, uh, you know, labeled uh, irre irrelevant curiosities, right? <laughs> you, know, uh, the, the, you know, with the advent of science, uh, those things, uh, you know, uh, a, lot of, a lot of people feel those things are, are not worth the time. To, to learn about and and but uh, with the uh, what happened with the emergence of the rational structure uh, or as it's come about in, in you know in our modern psyches is that the uh, the archaic the magical and the mythological structures of consciousness have been pushed into the the unconscious they've been you know they've been uh, repressed within us and they're 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 seething, <laughs> and and uh, uh, we can see that very much in in, uh, in our current times. Um, you know the the um, psychiatrist Carl uh, Carl Jung discovered uh, uh, evidence of uh, of these archetypal mythological archetypal themes uh, within the collective unconscious that affect our everyday lives. Of course, they are. Um, uh, they're most ex accessible to us in our dreams. So if you're paying attention to your dreams, you may begin to recognize archetypal themes. Uh, and archetypal here is, is akin to mythological. So the rational structure has given us uh, wonderful things. Modern medicine, technology. Uh, it's given us the, the modern world uh, with all of its uh, apparent progress. Um, as Ken Wilber writes, uh, reason, which allows as-if and what-if thinking, allowed alternative realities to be conceived, alternatives to slavery. You know, what, what if we abolished it? To monarchy, what if we had representative democracy? To patriarchy, what if women had equality? To fundamental, fundamentalist uh, mythic religion, uh, you know, what if science offered more truth? And then revolutions brought them into existence, whether politically with the French and American revolutions or revolutionary legal outlawing of slavery in every major industrial rational country the world over. Uh, so he, he writes, every positive stage had some form of slavery. Every previous stage, excuse me, had some form of slavery. So this stage was the first time in all of our human history that slavery was outlawed. That's something to think about, isn't it? Uh, he goes on, or the truly revolutionary modern sciences from physics to chemistry to evolutionary biology to sociology. All these are the results 
of this important level of consciousness. So that is the, that is the rational st structure of consciousness. And it has given us uh, uh, a very different world and, and a much better world in so many ways. Um, uh, of course, uh, what's happening now, from my perspective, what I see happening in the world is that we're in a crisis. Uh, and and uh, Gebser rep uh, recognized this too. Many, many thinkers did. You know, the modern world's in a state of crisis because the rational mind uh, is not equipped to deal with the, the complexity of, of, of things. And uh, what's happening in our time is, and with all these changes, because the, the, the draw of the mythological mind, the, 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 the emotional uh, mythological mind uh, is still very much present. And no matter how rational we think we are. And so, uh, you know, we, we're seeing now, unfortunately, uh, what a resurgence of, of racism in the United States. We're supposed to be one of the most modern leading countries in the world. Uh, we're seeing racism. We're seeing fundamentalist religion. We're seeing uh, misogyny. Uh, all, all kinds of, of crazy stuff. The, the anti-LBGQT fervor. You know, all of that is... Uh, is irrational, mythological based in our, and uh, it's a it's a real struggle right now. Um, I, it's important that, that people move into the rational level of consciousness, and if we're thinking about, uh, you know, uh, there's some there's a lot of talk around uh, about us moving into an, a new stage of consciousness, uh, what gaps are called the integral stage. Uh, you know, I have friends that are into this. Uh, uh, you know this uh, st star seed uh, uh, idea that we're we're moving into uh, what they call 5D consciousness. Um, maybe so, but um, I believe very strongly that you know, we need to do so uh, with a, a, from a, a rational uh, perspective. You know we need to be able to uh, to think clearly about things and to uh, investigate the evidence, you know. So we, we get these movements like, uh, you know, QAnon going on now. And, uh, uh, you know, where these uh, people, uh, a huge contingent of our population, believe stuff that is, uh, has no basis in evidence, you know, whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to say whatsoever, uh, but there, there are little pieces maybe that, you know, that, of, of truth in it, and that's a, that's a, a good lie contains you know little pieces of truth to try and anchor it somewhere in, in reality, uh, but it, that's that in my mind is a to totally uh, a regression. It's a regression to a uh, to a magical mythical structure of consciousness, and we're not going to be able to move forward uh, into a new and improved structure of consciousness, an integral structure of consciousness unless we can become uh, rational people. Um, I'm going to wrap up here pretty quickly. The 18th century German philosopher, uh, Immanuel Kant, uh, he was a leading voice in the European Enlightenment, or what was called the, the Age of Reason. And uh, he wrote, uh, Enlightenment is man's leaving his self-caused immaturity. 
Immaturity is the incapacity to use one's intelligence without the guidance of another. Such immaturity is self-caused, if not caused by a lack of intelligence, but by lack of determination and courage to use one's intelligence without being guided by another. Sapere ode, uh, have the courage to use your own intelligence, uh, is therefore the motto of the Enlightenment. So that was the, the age of region, reason, uh, you know, starting, uh, starting a, a couple centuries back. Um, and uh, it's still something that um, many of us are working on, being able to think for ourselves. And uh, you can't think entirely for yourself. You, you, your thinking is based on, on your education, your reading, your, your uh, expansive knowledge. Um, but also, you know, the, the ability to question that and to think about it and to, um, again, in, uh, investigate evidence, you know, be clear. You know, if your evidence for something is an, an anonymous source posting on the Internet, uh, it might not be valid evidence. It might not be valid uh, information. Just my thoughts, you know. Um, so anyway, we're currently fi facing uh, numerous crises in the world, whether environmental, humanitarian, financial, health, political, psychological. Everybody, everywhere is in distress, except for that, uh, that Zen monk I met once, once upon a time. In the face of this, uh, this global distress, many of us uh, regress to uh, familiar defense mechanisms like minimization, rationalization, denial, blame, dissociation, uh, and we, we, we can't regress. We need to, we need to uh, use this crisis as an opportunity for evolution. You know, the, uh, the Chinese, I've, I've heard it said that the Chinese character for crisis is also, uh, also means opportunity. So it's a chance for us to move uh, beyond worn-out patterns of thought, feeling, and actions. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a chance for us to make a truly quantum leap in consciousness, uh, a, a step into a, a brand new world. And it's a, a world of unity. It's a world of, of, of mutual respect and love and understanding, uh, if we can even try to imagine that. Um, so there's a, we have a tendency to, to regress in the face of consciousness, we, we move uh, backwards from our uh, more highly evolved prefrontal cortex and we begin using our, uh, our limbic system to think for us. And uh, we're going to destroy ourselves and our planet if we, if we operate from that level of consciousness. So if we choose to face the future with intelligence, compassion, honesty, and courage, we might, uh, we might have a future. Just my thoughts, you know, let me know what you think.